Hi, I'm Shreem Bhatik, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the marketing playbook for the industry one decision at a time. Betting brand Buffy has never been one to play by direct-to-consumer rules. The startup, which launched in 2017, selling environmentally sustainable comforters, knew from day one that it wanted to be a scale play. With a bootstrap funding strategy, the company started selling third-party on Amazon very early and went into stores, including its own, within year one. On this episode, Paul Shackett, co-founder and vice president of growth, talked to me about being realistic about being DTC, why the company is now investing more in editorial content, and lots, lots more. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Making Marketing. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you. So, the story of Buffy launched November 2017, mm-hmm. almost two years old. But I find what I find most fascinating about you as a company is sort of you're in that like special cohort of where, in my head, I classify you as a direct to consumer company, but you're very much not exclusively direct to consumer. You mm-hmm. sell in other channels other than your own. Um, And I think that was something that came through pretty early days. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to start really at the beginning, because that makes most narrative sense. Start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about, you know, launching the company, co-founding the company, and where you were kind of thinking about your place in this, at the time, sort of nascent-ish DTC world. Like, who are we going to be as a brand, and how are we going to sell? Totally, yeah. It's a a great question. Uh, Fond memories of, of the early days, but... Um, yeah, I think we were always quite self-aware of that label. Um, Directing consumer is great, I think, in so many ways. I think one of the, for startups especially, it, it allows us to get started and reach scale um, quite quickly. So in that sense, we were not really shying away from any of the tropes of direct-to-consumer or worried about being labeled as that. But mm-hmm. I think in our heart of hearts, we always knew that with our company mission, um, scale is super important to us. Um, I say that because our company mission from the early days, again, was was really founded with uh, a couple things in mind. The first being uh, kind of like a really close relationship with the mills and factories. Our key co-founder, Leo, is a good friend of mine from from growing up from college, actually. And uh, I know his family and they have they had, you know, quite humble beginnings starting out kind of in in China. And and the relationships that we have with our mills are not all we don't own all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we own kind of we don't own any directly as Buffy, but his family is, is quite involved with uh, you know weaving mill and there's several others and it very much is a kind of family business in that sense and it's it's really it's really kind of great. So that's been kind of core to how we wanted to start was being able to leverage kind of those relationships properly and and they are actually quite at scale. They're quite large <laughs> okay. those mills. So um, yeah, just being able to properly work with them and we couldn't do like small orders and things like that. Right. Right. Um, I think the second thing, um, in terms of getting things started, uh, was, was, yeah, just our, our kind of values mission, which is, which is really anchored in sustainability and and doing things that are better for us and better for the earth. Right. That's kind of what we always say. And, uh, and I think the, the only way to really achieve change and, and, uh, and any impact with sustainability is, is through scale. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, with those things in mind, we said, okay, we need to scale quite quickly. We need to get to a place where people know us and, and get the business to a sustainable place so we can work with our vendors and also achieve the kind of impact we're trying to um, accomplish. Um, so yeah, so in that sense, uh, getting started with direct-to-consumer as the label was was no big deal. But yeah, to your point, that was not, wasn't anything that was limiting us and we weren't trying to play into any type of, uh, any of those tropes, as, right. I, as I kind of said before. And so the idea of selling on different channels uh, was not that, 
strange to us or not that awkward. We don't think it really negatively impacts the brand you didn't in any feel major kind of way. Protection, because I think one of the things, and it's I love that you use the word tropes, because mm-hmm. it, it there are tropes, right? Yeah. A lot of these, I mean. I think most, and especially successful DC brands, i.e. the ones that have lasted, mm-hmm. um, most of them are selling in many other places. Most of them now mm-hmm. have stores of their own. They're selling in other people's stores. Um, many of them are on Amazon, like mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think that they're, like DTC almost to me is no longer really about, we're actually literally direct to consumer. Right. But there is a sort of, there are certain characteristics of those brands that I'd love to explore that sort of put them into that bucket because I still consider you as one of those in that bucket I would never Mm -hmm. say like this isn't part of that bucket and I think you leaned into that what are those trips what what kind of sets you know a company like Buffy into the same bucket as so many others in different different categories because there are there are certain characteristics there that Mm -hmm. are similar yeah I mean at the highest level I think the whole term probably spun out from folks who are in brick and mortar right looking at companies that had the quote-unquote luxury of not having to carry that fixed cost, right? And being able to kind of like scale their spend up and down based on how the market was doing and therefore achieve this kind of level of efficiency that's super attractive to performance-oriented marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, that being said... Um, I think that the brand... But what you said about brand purpose is one of them too. Like, I obviously... It's not that Nike doesn't have a brand purpose, but yeah. I think that all it almost feels like all DGC brands, and maybe to an extent that's taken a little too far, every single one of them sort of ladders up to this. It's more than about selling the the shoe, the scarf. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it really difficult, especially for me. I mean, a lot of my background came from, st- I mean, background, but just personally studying these brands like Nike and uh, the agencies like Wyden and Kennedy of, of like, and uh, Shiate, like those companies and, and agencies and brand and marketers um, are so innovative and we look to them every day, right, for inspiration. So I could never say that direct-to-consumer brands have like more deeper values or something like that, to your point. But I think where the, the tropes come into play are, you know, cutting out the middleman, for instance, like classic direct-to-consumer story that right. they all seem to be telling, right? Mm-hmm. Um then when it comes to the branding, right, I think we have other sort of agencies and pioneers uh, to thank, like the Red Antlers of the world, who have this aesthetic, um, which I've kind of chatted about with people in the past, of this sort of sans serif, uh, pop colors, um, you know, pastel palette, uh, illustrations, caricatures, sort of things. How much of that is still is still true? Or is that, is that still happening? Because there was definitely like a moment in time, and I think lots of people wrote about this, where every brand started looking the same, mostly yeah. because a lot of them were coming from the gin lanes, the red antlers of the world. Totally. And the fonts, the colors. Mm-hmm. Is that starting to die down a little bit? Um, I think everything is cyclical, and there's trends that go up and down. I think that's a trend that, uh, as with all trends, like when it gets too widespread, it, it starts losing some of its power. So I could totally see that it's in a, some sort of state of decline. And uh, I think most marketers are kind of aware of that. And yeah. some people, I know I've spoken to some people who don't care at all and who are totally happy playing into it as long as it lasts. And then they'll do a rebrand whenever mm-hmm. it feels necessary. Right. Um, some people aren't really bothered by that in, in any existential way. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that stuff... Um, I feel like the one thing you didn't mention, which I find interesting, is lots of, well, most of them have lots of funding. Yes. They're coming at it yes, from yes. big backing. They're, they've got, and almost, you know, not necessarily from day one, but from mm-hmm. very early days, they have somebody behind them. These are mm-hmm. not 
in many cases, brands that are just kind of bootstrapping on their own. And that's why I found it interesting when you said sort of you guys wanted to scale. You mm-hmm. wanted to be big. And but one of the tropes of DTC is you kind of stay small without really actually being small. But mm-hmm. that's that's a common identifier. That's such a funny cultural thing. Um, the amount of people who are in four or five year old companies still calling themselves startups also is I think is a funny <laughs> And in full, in full transparency, Digiday is one of them. We're yeah. 11 years old, but we still walk around being like, we're a media startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of this funny cultural thing. Um, and and the, funding, the funding thing and the scale note probably do sound a little contradictory the way that I kind of said it. But I think for us, we candidly like did not take any sort of big VC round. Obviously, we needed some money to get off the ground. So there was, there was uh, angel investing. Um, but we haven't done a Series A. Um, we don't have one really planned. That's not even secret uh, mm-hmm. for any time soon. Um, I think for that, uh, with that in mind, I think what we're trying to achieve, I think we feel like sometimes can be pretty exotic with this sort of sustainability mission and trying to do not only betting but but home goods as well mm-hmm. um, at some point um, and looking at all those kind of product categories, right? Um, and... I think we felt, maybe rightly or wrongly, who knows, that with that sort of strong kind of board involvement, um, it, it might not be possible and we might not be able to learn and make mistakes the way that we sure. knew would realistically happen. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't going to be solely your mm-hmm. decision along with you know yeah. your group's decision. It would, somebody else would be involved. Yeah, and I think, I think from a brand perspective, that's something that maybe is a bit different if we start trying to tease out differences between us and what makes us unique or something, right? right. Um, <laughs> we did start with kind of a hyper-focused uh, orientation, but I think there's other direct consumer brands out there who are still selling the same exact thing, right? Still telling the same story, still have the basic same look and feel. The imagery, I couldn't tell if it was from the first shoot when they first launched or before they launched to now, it's sort of all one look. Um, I think for us... We view it as much more of an evolution, and and that in that way, I don't think we're as clearly a direct to consumer in the minds of the consumer, right? If someone's paying a lot of attention to us, right? I mean, I'm sure if you just heard of Buffy once or twice, you wouldn't. What I'm saying wouldn't resonate, right? But I think internally, uh, we don't. We've done a lot of kind of content creation because all of it's actually done in house, which I think is another interesting thing about us. We yeah. don't have that. We got kicked off with Pentagram and Natasha Jen there, who brilliant um, partner that we we still like are so proud to have been involved with and and fortunate to actually have been able to work with uh pentagram is such like a um, iconic <laughs> i mean yeah right. iconic to say the least right um but uh but yeah i think from there um having the having the kind of confidence to evolve and make mistakes is has just been kind of where and it's given you freedom mm-hmm. to make that happen we'll be back after this quick break with the mission of making the web a first class platform that delivers results pantheon is building the world's best web ops platform one that gives superpowers to web teams allowing them to take control of their websites and work in an agile fashion to win in the dynamic digital world with pantheon marketers and developers deliver results by iterating quickly learning and experimenting with their websites in the same way that they do with virtually every other tool in their MarTech and development stacks. Pantheon powers over 285,000 sites and is trusted by thousands of marketing and development teams around the world. Learn why at pantheon.io slash making marketing. Now back to the episode. So let's let's go back to the beginning. So you you start, you're like, okay, I'm going to have this sustainable. um, I already have the relationships kind of with the manufacturer through Leo. Um, 
how did kind of marketing, especially in the early, say, like six to eight months work? Where mm-hmm. were you Where were you saying, okay, this is where I'll spend money. This is where I won't spend money, but I'll put a lot of attention. Where would you say your focus was? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, well, in terms of how we kind of structured the company and got started with at least the initial hires and even the way the founder team was comprised, um, we have always been and will continue, I think, to always be very focused on the customer and also our kind of internal culture. And that might sound a little bit weird, but give me a second to get into it. With the customer, uh, they're, um, the other two, uh, the other three co-founders are um, have management consulting backgrounds. Strategy in the management consulting context has been immensely important and understanding customer insights and things like that and also product testing um, have been paramount to how we've kind of evolved the company and and grown the teams. Um, So that being kind of like one of the starting points. And the second starting point I said, uh, sort of like the internal culture, is a lot to do with the way that the way that marketing works, right? I think there's a performative side and there's a creative side. Um, and in order for those to be, I think, truly productive and have an eye towards development, mm-hmm. it's really important to have very good relationships between both sides of, of the coin, right? I think a lot of brands, this isn't an accusation, but a lot of brands realistically have to work with agencies because maybe the founder group wasn't experienced in the creative industry and they don't know their way around a, a you know, photography set, and they don't know all those sorts of things and how to hire in a great art director or whatever it is. Right. Um, and a lot of founders are very much product-led because they've usually come up with the product. Totally. But the rest of it is sort of the foreign bit to that. Totally, totally. But I think, yeah, and I think kind of what ties those two vague ideas together is the way that Buffy does things is that we think they're sort of really inextricably tied. Uh, and what I mean by that is, yeah, just fully understanding on a very nuanced as well as a very broad level how the customer ticks and what they really like about our products and sure they might buy into our values but at the end of the day they have to like what we're selling too so that relationship and that conversation with the creative and performative sides of of the direct to consumer mm-hmm. marketing um is is i think kind of how we approached everything Did i don't you know if turn that was up too to high di- well that makes sense but i'm interested in sort of that idea that it's two sides of the same coin because right. i do think that one another thing that you know going back to what we were talking about earlier that sets a lot of these digitally native brands apart is that they've cracked the code in some ways most of them have on performance marketing at a level that legacy brands just didn't there mm-hmm. were there were there's so many instances of we saw with the big legacy companies of them you know going for reach and going back to saying actually it's about niche but really kept they kept turning the dials especially on social platforms mostly on facebook and instagram mm-hmm. but it felt like DTC brands kind of cracked it very early, and that's now leading to other challenges with those platforms, which we can get into later. But mm-hmm. the, it almost felt like they're more performance marketers first with creative kind of aiding and abetting. Was that a challenge to sort of make sure which dial is is kind of turning? Because it's not like you were going out there and making big TV advertising happen in the first six months, which is what I think of when I think of traditional brand awareness marketing. Totally. I mean, you're 100% hitting it on the head. I think... We have a brand marketing team and a growth marketing team. Uh, the brand marketing team is quite new, relatively speaking. Uh, that used to just be the creative team. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I, 
I would not pretend that we had it uh, solved from the beginning. No, we. I think we knew what our core values were in terms of the things I discussed earlier. But yeah, it's it's super challenging to find. I mean, people are so important, right? To and your team. I mean, we have such an amazing team, and it took us a while to build it, right? And even though we all like each other, finding a way to achieve each other's goals um, is is challenging, and that's part mm-hmm. of the day to day, right? Um, but I think we've really hit a really great stride. There's it doesn't feel like it's even two sides of a coin anymore. It really feels like one. One team. Um, that's one of the things I'm super proud of as a company is to have achieved such synchronicity. And it, it, it I mean, it, when I say it feels like one team, it sounds a little bit corny, but I mean, it really, really does. Um, and I think we, the creatives understand how performance works. And I think what's key is the, perf- the you know, the, the performance focused uh, folks in the office really understand that they need to be able to, I mean, we had a discussion the other day about, hey, I feel like we're not giving enough time to the creative team to just do explorations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because we are so focused on, and then that's the key challenge, right? Because the speed of the of culture and the internet and social today is mind boggling. And I think that's to your point of, of you know, like the more established companies coming in and saying, oh, we'll, we'll kind of like play around on Facebook a little bit and see what happens. I think it's such a, you need to have, you need to really appreciate the scale that you're trying to, the the magnitude and the size of of kind of the Facebook Instagram platform and understanding how invested you need to be, like internally <laughs> right. to well, really get now. it right. Yeah, no, it's but it's it wasn't like, like that when you started, or it wasn't as much like that when you started. I think that you were at that point, maybe say like early 2018. I mean, yes, it was expensive, mm-hmm. but it still remains effective. But it wasn't as I mean, you could very well go, and I'm I'm not sure if you did, but. You could very well go and say, I'll build my brand mostly using good photography, a little bit of good creative, but really, really put my money into the into Facebook, not mm-hmm. into the creative mm-hmm. that goes on Facebook. Sure. And I could build a brand mm-hmm. and I could see a lot of success and really conversions, not even just, this wasn't even just, will people find out what Buffy was? It was, mm-hmm. okay, no, people will buy things from mm-hmm. us. Was Facebook kind of the be all end all or did you try a bunch of different things even at the beginning? That's another good question. Um, I mean, uh, for for those who aren't aware, I think when when we say Facebook, we really mean Instagram these days. I right. think the Facebook owns Instagram, obviously. So, <laughs> but Instagram really does take the lion's share of that, and um, maybe that's just a benefit of being at the in the age group that we are, where we <laughs> knew that those were highly relevant, and also just having spoken to and having some experience working in marketing, we knew that Facebook is. The, the Facebook ecosystem is is where we should is where one should focus, and I think yeah, just from a ROAS perspective, just starting out, even when you're testing, Facebook is always the most kind of responsive and scalable. So, um, yeah, one of our principles early on was trying to uh, do one thing good, or sorry, uh, master one thing at a time, right? right? And I don't think we've mastered Facebook, but like get really comfortable with it. Uh, before we really focus on spreading our dollar too thinly. Sure, and it's not like you had again going back. You don't. You didn't have billions and billions of funding behind you to. Yeah, just it wasn't like we're well, let's put two million there and two million there, right. and we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, we kind of had to grow with the money that we were earning from customers and yeah. um, and reinvesting it. And, and it worked. Sort of yeah. Does it still work? I think it does. Yeah, I think knowing how. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's this sort of like maybe maybe this isn't even how folks look at it anymore, but but Facebook is I think was traditionally and Instagram was sort of this like lower slash middle funnel um, touch point that um, you know came later in the consideration set, and I think for us we really felt that with the impressions that we were seeing and things like that, I mean, Instagram is is a billboard just as much as a Union Square subway campaign. Um, 
Were people buying off Instagram or are people buying off Instagram? Because that commerce bit, Facebook got it. You know, that's where like I'm interested in. We'll talk about Pinterest and those mm-hmm. platforms mm-hmm. a little bit because they're still so top of the funnel. They want to change that. And I think there's obviously incremental tools and improvements they're making. Mm-hmm. Has Instagram kind of succeeded in becoming, you know, as much a commerce and shopping platform as an inspiration platform? Mm-hmm. Um, we admittedly don't use all the tools that Instagram, all the shopping tools that Instagram uh leverages i mean even in for example like an organic post do we tag the product so that you can shop it right from the post i mean i i understand like the digital products sort of like cut down as many in between steps so the customer can get to check out as quickly as possible that apparently isn't one that bothers people clicking from an instagram post and then going back to your profile and then going to is it still better for you do they come to your site anyway yeah yeah i mean i just i just don't know how much the um like incumbent user behavior is really responding to all of those tools that Instagram and Facebook are using, right? Yeah. Um, I guess that's the only point I'm trying to highlight. Yeah. <laughs> where, um, where else, or have you sort of? Where else have has your marketing kind of shifted, especially in terms of just how you think about it? Mm-hmm. Because we just talked a little bit about kind of performance, creative, mm-hmm. getting those twins to meet mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. not having them sort of be in their own worlds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one thing, you know, we've been talking about this a lot over here. Um, and we should just wrote about this, but sort of the extreme emphasis that, again, digitally native brands place on PR. They call it earned media. Mm-hmm. We call it PR. Um, PR is is interesting to me. I think a lot of them are saying, and in some ways they are saying, look, Instagram is getting a little too expensive. Yeah. Let's let's play around with some other things. Where What's changed for you in terms mm. of, again, where you spend your money, but also where you spend your attention? Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe I... I don't remember the exact blueprint that we had starting out of the of the kind of media mix to start, but but definitely PR has always been we we from day one had onboarded a PR company. I think we have a lot of respect for a lot of the traditional. Um, we maybe not have like been super active above the line and below the line, but we do talk that way and we do understand the funnel right. to be a stack right of of touch points. Um, the funny thing I think about PR um, is that it's it's just as much a business as. As as anything else, and and when people just doesn't say, feel like that. Yeah, when people say earned media, I think it, it's it seems like there's uh you know it's just there's not there's nothing behind that. I think basically what I'm trying to say is is a lot of, what I've noticed a lot in PR and, and sort of the difference between your um I don't know more established brands starting out and getting earned media coverage and something like a startup getting um earned media coverage is is that there is this sort of presence of affiliate, hmm. right? I think that there is a, a lot of pay-to-play being explored um, by publishers. And not that one can't earn media without doing affiliate marketing, but it does get a lot easier to get coverage. Okay. We, we were talking about this earlier, and I, w- I do want to talk a little bit more about sort of going deeper into organic and editorial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, I think these are all hallmarks of a more maturing digitally native brand I forgot vertical industry. There's too many acronyms. Um, where, where, how does kind of editorial and then sort of your own content then fit into this? Because I think it is all sort of part of the same thing that you you want to make things, you want to create things that are real and are that horrible word authentic. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's always going to be an engine that moves. Everything's a business. Media is a business. Mm-hmm. PR is certainly a business, and mm-hmm. you're in a business. Mm-hmm. So those businesses can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Where does your content fit in? Yeah, love this question. Um, the 
the thing with um, with editorial and organic for us is that we've always wanted to do it from day one, from before day one. Um, I think that just as a business, we had to prioritize a little bit how we really uh, were again achieving that scale that we needed to get to in order to function as a business without having taken uh, a check for however many millions of dollars, so that we can kind of hang out and do what we wanted to do. Um, that being said, like we've always very much prioritized our our internal kind of culture around the organic content that we put out. So our Instagram um, has been something we've been very proud of and, and something we've been able to be very expressive very in. Very pretty. And, thank you. Um, and, and all of that, all, all the good things that go along with that. I think when you want to try to anchor down and go a little bit deeper with things like that, that's when uh, we just sort of, um, I was telling you earlier, relaunched our uh, our editorial platform called Soft Space. But I think what's new and interesting these days is, um, you know, folks are always interested in finding ways to whatever prospect or remarket customers. And, and that can kind of have this very Facebook first, uh, or what about Pinterest or what about YouTube? And I think, uh, not that folks forget about it, but organic is still super powerful. And, but that does completely, the, the fulcrum there is, as you said, authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not telling a real story that people really care about, there's no reason that they're going to follow you or care about it right. or share it. And or when you're talking about organic anything. content, you're talking about what sort of, I guess, people call branded content. Yes. It happens to be written by a brand, but oftentimes it's sort of, you know, it's original. It's mm-hmm. about, but the brand sort of fits in it in sometimes in a very overt way and sometimes not in an overt way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, like there's the, the male medias of the world, which have... I think done a really great job of disassociating themselves in a way that I'm not fully sure how it works. Oh, we have we have an alumni from Digiday who very recently just left Mel, but for years, you know, we would be like, "Oh, there you go, writing writing for Dollar Shave Club." Yeah, yeah, but yeah. no, it was this was that was a touchy subject. Yeah, it's just, and it's, a, it's because a serious it was a different because yeah. a different company. Yeah, it's complete. I mean, it's I was I remember one time I was looking it up with a friend and. I was searching Mel and Dollar Shave Club in the same search, and nothing was coming up linking them. Oh. It was it was blowing my mind. At a CIA level. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah, like yeah. Scrubbing everything. Yeah, no, but I this mean, is but yours is different. Yours is closer totally. to. Ours remember is in Van the Winkle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is that's closer to the Van Winkle, or I think Airbnb had one called Pineapple. Probably something like yeah. that. So yours is in that space more than the Mel and Dollar Shave Club space. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, totally. And I think. Um, yeah, totally. I think we're we're telling, we're trying to tell stories that we feel resonate with uh, with our customer, but also, I wouldn't necessarily say tie back to the brand because I think the immediate thing that comes to people's mind is sleep content and comforter content. Sure. Um, that is not the primary focus for yeah. us. When um, did you launch this? So we launched it. Uh, it's actually kind of been around for a little bit. We launched it. Um, Probably in Q3 or Q4 of last year. And then we did a sort of reskin very recently, and we're right. now populating it with sort of the content that it's we've been It's not easy. On. I mean, the it's examples not... I just mentioned have ceased to exist, yeah. essentially. No, totally. Um, and there's reason for that. It's very diff- It's Firstly, a lot of, I think, brands you know, put out great content that looks beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. very hard to do in mm-hmm. a day in and day out. Media is a tough business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then staffing it and finding people to write that. Exactly. It's a completely different muscle. It's a completely different muscle that I think a lot of marketing teams don't necessarily build into a startup from day one, right? Or any company from a day from day one. I think editorial is something that they have a relationship with through PR, 
um, and for a brand to go out and say that they're going to do that themselves is quite ambitious. And I think that's sort of what I've been trying to say by it being around for a while and things like that. I mean, we've just uh, approached it quite modestly, but we do, um, we have been prioritizing it based on kind of like exactly, as you said, staffing it and bandwidth and things like that, which are very real, right? Being very honest here, but it's, (laughs) it's just the reality. And I think, uh, we do have a lot of really exciting things coming, um, and we have made um, some wonderful team additions that are that are going to be driving that. Um, and I think, you know, the production cycle is very different than ad content. Um, but yeah, all that stuff I think is going to start to roll out and hopefully be kind of an inextricably tied um, piece to to like the Buffy brand. But yeah, is there going to be a printed magazine that? No, probably not. I mean, I don't think that's not very sustainable either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the interesting part that that I haven't really spoken about is really, or what we find more interesting that we've been thinking more about it is it's not just about the sort of blog in in air quotes, right? I think there's this sort of organic content, branded content that, I mean, branded content is what we have on Instagram, right? But people don't really say that in the same breath. And I think we're looking at it actually in that way, where you have your Instagram, IGTV is now becoming more of a priority for Facebook um, fr- from an organic side, right? Um, where IGTV kind of content will appear in the feed or on people's profiles. Um, and then mapping kind of that link as a user journey to maybe the the platform, which is Softspace, which is the editorial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's not all just about written content. It's not about long-form written content necessarily. There's stuff that's more bite-sized and stuff that people actually care to to engage with for however long they have patience for, right? Mm-hmm. And we know we have a great story to tell and stories to tell that, that are in the periphery of our brand world that don't necessarily need to be about sleep or comforters, uh, especially as we think about kind of our future trajectory, which is kind of growing up beyond the bedroom. Um yeah, I think we just have sort of a long-term view with that and, and just excited. I know everyone internally is very excited to have that kind of come to fruition. I think um, before I let you go, I did want to talk a little bit about Amazon because, again, so you guys weren't sure. on Amazon very early mm-hmm. comparatively and sort of, the, again, mm-hmm. going back to that that typical DTC path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I remember this quote because I, I remember editing that story and I think you'd said something like, oh, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Like, I can't believe we're on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's it been like now? What is sort of the – what is the big pro to being on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is a little bit of a con? Because at the end of the day, it's not your own platform. There has to be some downside. Um, I think that, I mean, to me, Amazon just represents a a wholesale model, right? Um, it's just another retailer Uh, with all due respect. I think Amazon is more than just another, no more than just another retailer. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in terms of how we view it as a brand, I would say that, um, you don't sort of pay it any special mind as maybe you would, I don't know. You sort of think of it as if you went to, I don't know. Crate and Barrel, Crate, Crate and Barrel, Target, whatever those. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Crate and Barrel only sells their brand, but, uh, but you know, like whatever the the multi brand retailers of the world, right? Um, it's been very funny to me actually that folks have been very interested in the fact that Buffy is on Amazon. I I, I really um, I don't want to glaze over it, but I I really do think that Amazon is so much everybody the everybody's kind of shopping center sure. and everyone uses it and engages with it and buys the price points are all over the place and the types of things you buy I, I've found myself shopping on Amazon for things that I never thought I would shop for and I think the 
Yeah, though, I mean, the, the, the one con, I guess, is that you don't really have as much control over the shopping experience as maybe you do on your own and site. that's the thing I think a lot of founders scream from the rooftops. Uh, well, I'll never go on Amazon because I don't have control. And that control, actually, yeah. is that is that big, that the big words. Like, I can do everything on my own, which means I can control everything. I have my own team in-house. I do everything myself. I spend a ton of time and money building my own editorial blogs and totally. contents and all of that. Totally. And then you can't turn around and say, well... But then it's okay with Amazon, which is, I think, what the narrative has been. Mm-hmm. And that's been built a little bit very strongly by the DTC community. Totally. And I, I could totally see that being relevant. And I can see some people, again, like existentially not being able to cope with sort of the dissonance between the experiences. But I think I would argue that, um, you know, I, having a having a shop and shop presence at Target where kind of your sign is falling over and someone has kicked <laughs> it and scuffed it is probably just sure. maybe worse, right? Yeah. Um, no offense to Target. I don't know if that even happens, but <laughs> I'm sure it's a potential somewhere in America. But you can always lose control. You can always lose control when you work with a third party. Um, when you work with a third party. Full so why stop. not be at the one of the biggest retailers in the world? Yeah, kind of. And I also think there's another aspect of like the customer is smart. People are smart and they can tell when they don't like the experience on Amazon. They're going to say, wait, I'm, this feels weird. Let me just go to the site and see what's up. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what it looks like getting as uh, Amazon as a traffic referral source. Um, I don't know if I can even say that if I <laughs> if I did know, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some matriculation there where people are coming over from Amazon because they said, "Let me I find feel out like more. There's more here." Yeah, sure. yeah. I like this. I like this dose of realism because I think there has been. To, for all of this, there has been a significant amount of I don't know shrieking that yeah. maybe. Is is kind of unwarranted in it's some a, ways. It's a little unwarranted. It's a little. Pff, I don't want to sound so critical. It's a, there's like a degree of like tone deafness to like. Sure, you can say that as a direct consumer. What about every other brand, every <laughs> other retailer out there who looks at Amazon and is freaking out for another reason, right? Where they're kind of like, oh my god, they're eating my lunch. People aren't coming to my stores. They're kind of buying the brands that I'm stocking, but they're not buying them from me anymore. Right. What do I have to do? I have to do one day shipping. Do I have to do same day shipping? And you know, it's a very different. I mean, Amazon is, is quite, as I was joking before, it's just another retailer, but it's like, it's a big deal, right? So right. I think getting comfortable with things like that and is just part of being a modern brand. And again, that goes back to the direct-to-consumer thing and us thinking ourselves as a young brand with a mission, right? We kind of look semi-agnostically at things like, like that yeah. and try to understand more how can we tell the story we want to tell. So if you go on, our, on, 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 on Amazon on our on our product page, we're still telling our story, right? Sure. We're still talking about the sustainability. That's also very pretty. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and you know, we still have it's 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 our talent, right? It's like the diverse casting that is super, super, super important to us, and trying to represent everyone who, everyone in America and in the world, and, and try to represent all the people that uh, that that we value so highly, right? Um, so so I don't think it's not like Amazon's coming in and saying you need to do this or that or the other with your creative. Sure. Obviously, you don't control the page structure, but I think that's an okay kind of thing to get yeah. comfortable with. Yeah, it's okay to lose a little bit. It's it's back to coming, and and I think this this is really interesting because, like you said, from day one, you were like, "I want this company to be scaled, and this isn't just another path to one of the paths that you're on to mm-hmm. scale." Mm-hmm. Sort of realist, exactly. And I think there's other areas where the authenticity is much more important, right? For example, the branded content. Then necessarily, do I control the building blocks of the UX or like the page the page template of of Amazon right Um, bigger problems to worry about bigger problems yeah (laughs) I love this great Paul thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me yeah 
And that's all for today's episode of Making Marketing, a show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producer is, of course, Gianna Cappadona. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for a show, Making Marketing, leave us a review, hopefully five stars and a rating. I'll also read my favorite reviews here at the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.